1: But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. To LA, new York, Vegas to Africa. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the
0: only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. In segment three, we're going to catch up with Gary Stevenson. He's the new head of the Pac 12 TV network. Big, big network. Big job in front of him. He starts September 6th. But before he starts, he sits down with us, talks about the network and the big job he has in front of him. That's coming up in Segment 3. Segment 4, Sam Amick from SI.com, NBAconfidential.com joins me. We're going to discuss why we think the NBA players should just wave the white flag now and say, you know what, let's get this done now, let's make the fans happy. It's not going to get any better for them Later than it is for them now, so we'll talk about that in segment four. A Couple of other notes: visit my sports business blog, download the SBR podcast on Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter. Those icons are available on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm at SBRadio on Twitter. Joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, we have Gary Stevenson coming up in segment three. And Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple, resigned this week. Half of what these TV networks are doing now is digital. We watch things on our iPhone, on our iPad, on our computers. And Steve Jobs, I'm sad this week that he steps aside, especially due to health reasons.
2: Yeah, an amazing, amazing businessman and and just... I mean, just leaps and bounds ahead of so many people. We've seen Apple just blow up and be the biggest company ever. I mean, I think it is the most successful company in the world. I
0: think so, too. And they're hip. They're cool. They have great advertising. They have great product. And literally, Steve Jobs resurrected that company from the dead. It was dead. And then he brought it back. And, uh, boy, it's my favorite company. I enjoy their products more than any other. And I'm not being paid to say that. All right, coming up next, it's the sports business radio headlines of the week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
1: Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio.
0: It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at EverythingisOnTheRecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EverythingisOnTheRecord.com.
1: It's time, baby.
3: Special News Bulletin.
1: At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. I to be in the headlines.
0: Well, some big contracts handed out in pro sports in the last week. Larry Fitzgerald, the all-world wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, signed a $120 million deal with the Cardinals, which is the most lucrative deal for a non-quarterback ever in the NFL. He gets $50 million up front. Griggs, I like this deal. Um, It's stability in Arizona. And Larry Fitzgerald is not only a fantastic football player, he's a really good guy in the community, very well-spoken, represents the Cardinals
2: well, and he's really become the face of their franchise. I was going to say, and this kind of solidifies that, I think, with the fans, with the management there, hey, we want you to be our guy. And he is a stud. He's fun to watch, a great athlete, and a cool guy off the field, well-spoken, Just all around a good player. I think it's a great move. And they bring
0: in Kevin Cobb from Philadelphia this year. So now that tandem seems to be in place for the foreseeable future for the Cardinals. Good news for them. Um, Another signing in the NFL, not nearly as lucrative, but Kerry Collins signs with the Indianapolis Colts. And what that means is that Peyton Manning, who has a start streak of 227 games in a row if you include the playoffs, longest in the NFL, may not be ready for Week 1 against Houston, That's big news. Peyton Manning, one of the faces of the NFL, he's coming off of uh, neck surgery. He has a bulging disc, so that's concerning if you're a Colts fan. Here's the signing of the week that caught my eye, though. Jared Weaver, Los Angeles Angels pitcher, signs a five-year, $85 million deal. A lot of people surprised. Wow, he could have gotten a lot more money. Scott Boris, who's his agent who's as greedy as they come because he wants more and more commission, and he got CC Sabathia $161 million, thought Weaver could have gotten much more if he became a free agent. But Jared Weaver said this. He said, If $85 million is not enough to take care of my family and other generations of families, then I'm pretty stupid. How much money do you really need in life? Griggs, how refreshing is it for an athlete to take less money than he maybe could have gotten to have that kind of a statement? He's staying where he wants to stay. The Angels, the only organization he's ever played for, grew up in Southern California. $85 $85 million is a lot of money. If you can't make that last for a long time, you really are stupid, but rarely do you hear athletes
2: say it so candidly in this day and age. Yeah, it's a great, refreshing statement, like you said, and it's nice to hear. And I think he'll be a better player because of it. I think he'll be happier because he's he's happy where he's at. He's got the peace. He's playing where he wants to play. He's got the money he knows he needs. And I think he's going to be better all around for him. The
0: hidden secret in sports a lot of times is players take a lot of money, more money than they'd get to say where they really want. So they'll go play in a market that they're not really enamored with, where there's maybe more pressure, they're not as familiar, but because they're getting loads and loads more money, they'll go there. Here, Jared Weaver staying home with the organization he wants to, and I tip my hat to him. All right, bad news last weekend. Violence breaks out at the 49ers Raiders game at Candlestick Park. Forces changes. First of all, the Niners have already said after this, there will be no tailgating after kickoff. Then, there now are discussions at the NFL level that the Niners and uh, Raiders
2: may not play preseason games anymore in the future at all, Greg. This was really ugly. Yeah, it was bad, and what is it with that state of California? I mean, they just love to beat each other up down there. It's crazy. I mean, anywhere down that area, it's like, come on, guys, just watch the game.
0: Right. Brian Stowe, the fan-beaten at the Dodger Stadium at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, at what point do parents like me not feel safe taking their kids to a game anymore? This has to change, or we're going to see attendance drop in certain venues. All right, coming up next, it's Gary Stevenson, the new head of the Pac-12 TV and digital network. He's got a big job in front of him, but it's a very exciting job. We'll catch up with him. He starts on the job September 6th. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports. Business Radio will be right back.
1: Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're going to
0: go to the phone line right now. Gary Stevenson, the head of the Pac-12 Network, joins me now. Gary, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you today? I'm doing great. Congratulations on your new job.
4: Well, thanks. It's, uh, it's very exciting.
0: What was the most appealing thing about this job? I mean, you're a guy, you've been in the industry 30 years. You've worked around the NBA, the golf channel. What drew you to this job?
4: Well, very rarely do you have an opportunity to do something new. And uh, not only are we going to do one network, but we're going to do six regional networks. We're going to put together a digital network. And so to me, at this point in my career, uh, I just thought it would be a lot of fun. You don't get a chance to do this much.
0: What about the chance to work with Larry Scott? He's a real visionary. We'll talk about the digital part of this deal in a moment. But uh, everyone says great things about Larry Scott.
4: Well, what Larry did, has done here in the last two years is really kind of transformative in college sports. Uh, I've known Larry a long time, and I watched what he did at the ATP tour, uh, and then he went over to the WTA, and, and literally in two years kind of changed the mood of that tour, if you will. Uh, and he's done the same thing here. He just has a unique ability to come in and size up a situation, decide what's necessary, and then he has this ability to get everybody on board with him uh, to move forward, and very exciting. The other thing he's done here is, uh, if you take a look at some of the hires he has made, Kevin Weiberg, who is is the deputy commissioner, was the commissioner of the Big 12, uh, and knows college sports inside and out late Leighton was with the Sacramento Kings and was one of the rising stars in the NBA world. So he's putting together a world-class team, and, you know, I just hope I can paddle fast enough to stay up with him.
0: So you've got 30-plus years of experience. You have stopped at the Golf Channel, the NBA, the PGA Tour. You've uh, led your own consulting firm on sport. What's your general philosophy with covering sports broadcasting and digitally?
4: Well... You know, what, what I think is interesting about sports is no matter how many channels there are out there, no matter no matter how many other messages consumers get, sports is the one place where people stop and watch the game. You're right. So, so unlike, you know, eventually 10 years from now, any of the sitcoms that you like, you'll be able to watch at any point in, in the day. But if you are a Manchester United fan, or if you're a University of Oregon fan, and they're on at you know, Saturday afternoon at noon, uh, you have to pay attention. Now, our job is to make sure that if you're interested, you can get it in any medium that you want to get it. And that's part of what our job here is at Enterprises. If you want to watch it on the big screen, you can watch it on the big screen. If you want to watch it on your telephone, eventually you'll be able to watch it on your cell phone. Um, so that's part of what what we have to accomplish here in the next couple years.
0: We're joined by Gary Stevenson he's the head of the new Pac-12 broadcast and digital network. Let's talk about distribution for a moment many networks have started to uh, you know they're very ballyhooed I guess and this one is no different but then they come out of the box with with weak distribution what's your distribution plan?
4: Well um, the beauty of the deal that Larry engineered here is that The day that we go on the air, we will have distribution with Cox, Comcast, and Time Warner, which uh, control the majority of the cable homes in the Pac-12 footprint. Uh, We still have a job to do to get distribution with satellite and some of the other cable carriers, but the fact that we have a distribution agreement with those Three cable companies uh, is a huge advantage for what we're trying to accomplish.
0: And then you just talked about mobile access and and digital access. And, you know, Larry talked to me about how you're going to be able to watch this on your iPad. You just mentioned that people will be able to watch on their phone. ESPN and Fox are pretty strong in that area. But what do you ultimately see as far as, you know, 10 years down the road, people being able to consume your product?
4: Well, like I said um, a, a, a little earlier, no matter how, if you're a, our job is if you're a Pac-12 fan and you're interested in content, it's our job to get it to you however you however you want it. Second job is if you're a if you're not a Pac-12 fan, our job is to expose you to some content and some stories and to some sports that you may not traditionally speak and hopefully convert you to be a Pac-12 fan. And the third thing is. You know, we we have and have had uh, an affiliation and agreement with Fox and ESPN for years. And one of the most important jobs we have at enterprises is to make sure those television networks are successful. So this isn't just about building audiences for, uh, for our new networks and for our digital networks, but it's also about building audiences uh, for our television partners.
0: Where is your network going to be headquartered?
4: Still in the middle of thinking about that. uh, There's a lot of talent in Southern California, and there's a lot of talent in the Bay Area. Uh, I'd imagine those two are on the short list. One of the most important jobs here in the short term is for Larry and I to decide the location and where the facility is going to be. And I start on September 6th, and I'm guessing at about 9.01 we're going to be starting on that very subject.
0: I'm guessing you're probably going to get more resumes in the next month than most any executive in sports.
4: (laughs) I actually have uh, already have and have heard from some long lost cousins that I haven't heard in about 25 years.
0: Yeah, I bet. What about when I had Larry on, he talked about the Pacific Rim and really making some inroads into Asia. Do you have any plans in the future to open up offices in Asia?
4: Well, I don't know about you know. I I don't know the exact plans about whether we're going to open offices, et cetera. But what we do know is that there is a lot of interest, um, and quite frankly, a lot of alums from our universities that live in the Pacific Rim. And so, uh, this is just not a West Coast endeavor for us. We, we believe a couple things. We believe that 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 the the, the level of competition in the in the Pac-12. Will be very attractive to people all over this country, not just the West Coast. And we believe that that the the, uh, the Pacific Rim will be will be interested in our exact plan. We don't know, but I can tell you, in our organizational structure, at some point we will have um, a group that is focused on international and and new business areas.
0: We know ESPN and Fox. Who are some of your other key strategic partners going to be? I mean, I've heard Larry talk about. He's got great relationships with Apple and Google and there's some really bright minds on this end of the country.
4: Well, you know, one of the one of the attractive things about this enterprise for me is that I think we're going to have the ability because because we own the networks 100%. We're going to have the ability to Explore and forge new relationships and try new things from a distribution standpoint. And you know, as as you just mentioned, a lot of that is headquartered right there, right here in Silicon Valley. So uh, I I can't imagine that uh, there will be a concept that we won't consider as it relates to our new media business.
0: Just a few minutes left with Gary Stevenson, the new head of the Pac-12 Broadcast and Digital Network. So, one of my favorite sports programs on TV has been HBO's Hard Knocks. I love the behind the scenes access. I like play by play, but I also like getting a taste of what goes on behind the curtain. Do you have any plans to maybe offer that up with some of the programs in the Pac 12?
4: It's a great question. You know, and I, I admire that Hard Knocks show and program, and I also admire you know, what ESPN did with you know, 30 on 30, the uh, kind of in depth look. Right. What's nice about what we can do, not only on our network, but on our regional networks, is we're going to have time to tell stories. Uh, there are great stories about uh, rivalries, for example, that just because there's just not enough time on the air, never get told. There are great human interest stories about athletes, not not just in football and basketball, but in women's sports and in soccer and in all the other sports that never get told. There are great stories about Hall of Famers and what they've done after their careers were over from different universities. Those stories never get told. We, we have the ability, uh, like I said, on the regionals to really dig into those stories and tell those stories. And to me, that, that will be some of the most exciting programming.
0: That's great. The other winners out of this deal, in my opinion, are the secondary sports, the women's sports, the Olympic sports—sports sports that really haven't gotten much exposure at all. But now you're going to be able to, to devote some time to them as well.
4: Well, and those sports have really avid audiences. You know, I was involved in the launch of the WNBA when I was when I was with the league, and um, you can't—I I can't describe the passion that their fans had for that league. It was—it was almost like. There's almost like a cause. It's kind of like, finally, I can see women's basketball, or finally I can go to a women's basketball game, or finally I can watch a women's basketball game on television. And the Pac-12, uh, really has the best Olympic sports, uh, in the country. If you take a look at the number of championships won and, and, and the quality of the programming. The ACC also has really good Olympic sports, but, but those two conferences Really dominate the Olympic sports scene, and giving exposure to those sports will be a top priority for us, particularly on some of the regional networks.
0: So, before I let you go, you said September 6th is your first day on the job. Walk me through, you know, maybe a six to 12 month timeline of what you hope to accomplish after you are officially on the job.
4: Well, the first thing, obviously, uh, is to, to find leaders for our respective business units. You know, we have to find a leader of our network. We have to find a leader of the digital networks. We have to find a, a leader to sell in our integrated sales packages. So that, I mean, I've kind of outlined four priorities. That's that's one of the four. Second and, and is to make sure that anything that we do is consistent with the brand that the Pac-12 stands for and that the universities stand for. If you really think about it, the reason that this opportunity is here now is because that brand, the integrity of that brand, has been protected over the years. Uh, and it's our job to make sure that it remains protected, that the traditions are honored, and that it continues to build. And the Pac-12 around the country has a reputation as for greatness both on the field and off the field. And, and uh, you know, that's an important part of what we have to do, and we can't lose sight of that. Have you third thought thing, about – I'm sorry, go ahead. Th- third thing is is we, we have to focus on the remaining distribution agreements uh, to make sure that, that we, we – uh, anybody that wants to carry our programming, we put an agreement in place with them uh, that's satisfactory to both parties. And then the fourth thing, obviously, is to find a location and build a facility.
0: Yeah, and one of the things you guys have done that I talked to Larry Scott about is you, you're going to keep some really good games for your network. So that's going to make it more enticing, I would think, to people who may be interested in distributing your network.
4: No doubt. I mean, when we started the Golf Channel, the only pro- live tournament programming we had was European PGA Golf and LPGA Golf. Uh, and it was, a, it was a tough pull until some PGA Tour and, and Champions Tour Golf got on that network. The advantage we have is, right from the beginning, we're going to have some of the premier programming from the, from the, from the conference.
0: Final question. Uh, have you thought about any kind of an official rollout for the network, and when might that be?
4: Uh, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I think the official rollout will will be next September. But other than that, uh, I can't tell you uh, much about it because I'm still trying to find a place to live.
0: (laughs) So you're really trying to – I mean, this is like sucking water from a fire hose right now for you in a lot of regards, I bet.
4: It is, but you know what? Honestly, if anybody that's involved with this enterprise complains about it, I want you to call and tell me because, like I said earlier – you know, you said I've been around 30 years, and I have been around 30 years, and one of the things you learn is that when you have a fun opportunity, like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you don't complain about it. So, uh, you'll never hear me say, oh, this is stressful or whatever. Uh, I think it's terrific, and I think it's exciting for the Pac-12, and I think it's exciting for the schools, and hopefully... You know, the existing fans will like it, and and what we really hope is that we find some new new fans and expose them to, uh, to our content.
0: Oh, I'm sure you will. Gary Stevenson, the head of the new Pac-12 Network, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it.
4: I look forward to getting up there and saying hello in person.
0: That'd be great. I look forward to that, too. Take care. You, too. That's Gary Stevenson from the Pac 12 Network. Great
1: insight from him. This is SBR, back with more after this. What time is it?
0: Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tea times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to PumpkinRidge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links.
1: The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com.
0: I'm joined on the phone right now by Sam Amick of SI.com and NBAConfidential.com. How are you? Doing great, Brian. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining me. I really liked your piece yesterday for SI.com. And I agree with you, Sam. I think it's time for the NBA players to wave the white flag. But for people who didn't see your story, give us the reasons why you think that time has come.
3: Well, you know, the short version is I just don't think the players have a leg up anywhere. You know, when the lockout became official and this thing started unfolding, you know, I had a uh, focused eye on trying to see how the players responded. And and so things popped up, like we all know the overseas discussions that continue as far as guys signing internationally. uh, That was one subplot. You know, another subplot was pro-am and summer leagues that these guys would take part in and and some ideas about, you know, could they monetize – things like that and, and find a way to, to not only make some cash, but, but send a strong message to the owners that, you know, we can survive without you and we're going to find a way to go it alone and, and you know, go that route. Um, it, it, the list goes on from there. We all know about the legal situation and and uh, the fact that the NBA got the uh, the edge there and, and putting a lawsuit forth uh, regarding the decertification of the union, the, the potential decertification, and, and now the union is faced with a a situation where, if they go that route, there could be some pretty serious consequences. So, all across the board, a lot of the things that I thought maybe the players would be able to to use as leverage have gone by the wayside. And and right now, anyway, I'm just not seeing uh, in the big picture uh, any scenario where they know that where they have any leverage at all in and, and negotiations. That means you're out of luck, and, and that's why I think they probably need to, to find a way to get a deal done right now.
0: A lot of people ask me why did the NFL players have Leverage, but the NBA players don't. And as you just mentioned, it's decertification. And it's easier to decertify for the NFL because they don't have those guaranteed contracts worth $100 million or more like the NBA players do. There's no slam dunk, Sam, that if the NBA players did decertify that those contracts would be ruled null and void. But it's a big, big risk for the players to take, isn't it?
3: Yeah, no, it's huge. And And I think some of the... More frustrated NBA agents would probably argue that that the union, you know, if they were going to go that route, they needed to go there a little more decisively and, and quickly uh, than they have, as opposed to kind of weighing their options and and taking the route they've taken. Um, you know, maybe that ship has sailed already because of that lawsuit that the NBA now has in place. You know, it, it did up the ante as far as the risk, and you know, not only that, but you know, for the average fan that just wants to see these guys, you know, start the season on time. The reality is that if it ends up in the courts, then, uh, you know, you're looking at missing at least half the season and and probably the whole season. It just makes it a whole lot messier. And and as, uh, you know, the agent, the the guy that I quoted late in the story, Mark Hornstein, is is pretty involved in this thing. And and his point regarding decertification is, you know, it it changes absolutely uh, absolutely nothing as far as needing to, to come to an agreement. You know, that doesn't give you an agreement. It just, it might force you back to the table but uh, you know they're they're more than capable of doing that right now.
0: We're joined by Sam Amick of SI.com, also NBAconfidential.com Here's what I'm hearing from a few NBA agents, Sam, is that they don't have the kind of faith in Billy Hunter as NFL players and NFL agents have in Demora Smith. Are you hearing the same thing? I would
3: agree that it's uh, somewhat tenuous on a, I don't know what kind of percentage we're looking at in terms of all of the involved agents and which camp you know uh each guy is in, but I would agree I've heard you know uh, a, a pretty fair amount of you know varying degrees of skepticism um about the union and and the way they're conducting it and and not only that but um i, I kind of thought that you know that and I like Billy Hunter, but I thought he kind of missed a, a chance uh when the topic arose of of uh whether or not he would be taking a pay cut about a month ago, um, you know someone else had said to me, you know you really had a chance there to, to come out and say, yeah, that's fine. I'll go ahead and, and forego my salary. And then, you know, knowing full well that uh, on the back end, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you can forego the salary and then and then make it up. You know, once a resolution is reached, you know, you can end up getting all your money back and, and find a way to, to win the PR game. And, and so I think uh, you've got, you know, Shane Battier is the guy um, who, you know, formerly of the Grizzlies, who stood up at a, a meeting about two months ago and and kind of challenged Billy and his leadership, and and so there is that camp. But that being said, Shane was, you know, from what I was told, kind of in the minority that day, and and somewhat put in his place, and so that camp is still somewhat quiet, but it is there.
0: You talk about the PR game. A lot of this is the PR game with the fans, and the one thing about the NFL is they met regularly throughout their lockout. I think maybe a week went by where they weren't having meetings, or at least there was the appearance that they were having meetings with mediators or small groups the nba has met once and you know there's no other meeting in sight i think you say september 15th might next be the next meeting but to the fans they're like hey can you guys at least meet so we can have some conversation here to get this thing solved
3: yeah exactly that's how i feel and that's how you know cornstein uh, that agent uh, i know that's how he felt that's why i called him um, I would agree with you. I i don't know the number, the, uh, you know, the tally at this point on, on meetings, because uh, they have had mid-level meetings, you know, without Billy Hunter and David Stern, but I, it's no more than five, and it's not frequent enough, and, and they're not obviously uh, trying to reach resolution. They really are running around on both sides, trying to get a leg up and, and play the leverage game and the PR game, and um you know, the owners are, are culpable here too. I mean, you know, I understand that they think the player's proposal was just so far from you know what they uh what they want that uh is that it's frustrating to them but as bill simmons had said in his podcast with david stern you know if if you go to buy a car and and i tell you uh, you know that i want this $15,000 car for or this $50,000 car for 15 you still got to come back. You still have to give me a counterproposal, and the owners haven't done that. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I wish they would just be going back and forth a lot more than they are.
0: I don't think the owners have negotiated in good faith. And as a matter of fact, I would say there's unfair labor practices going on from them. I think they knew all along they were taking this to a lockout. Their goal isn't to make a deal; it's to you know get this into the season and put even more pressure on the players. And, you know, they want their pound of flesh. The other problem that I'm hearing about, Sam, is that it's not just the owners versus the players. It's the big market owners against the small market owners. Jerry Buss doesn't want to share his $3 billion from Time Warner Cable with uh, the Portland Trail Blazers or the Sacramento Kings or the San Antonio Spurs. So the owners aren't on the same page about revenue sharing and other big topics
3: yeah and I think you know that might be why the revenue sharing has been put on the back burner at least on a sidetrack in these negotiations you know Stern has been adamant about not having that be part of uh, the minimal CBA discussions they've had you know he's kind of said well we'll we'll figure that out down the road And the players have argued that uh, you know if the owners get what they want they're not even going to need revenue sharing because all 30 teams are going to be you know so so profitable Um, I that to me is what I tried to get a pulse on for that latest piece and, and I still I'm going to try to get a more accurate pulse on is just a level of uh, of unity with the owners, and it, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. The, the large market, small market thing is huge, and if the James Dolan and Jerry Buss and Jerry Reinsdorf types uh, do raise their hand at some point and say, you know, we're we're not on board anymore, then then maybe the players do get what they want. I don't see it happening. Um, you know, I do think that it's one thing to assume that a Jerry Buss You know, wants this lockout to not take place, but he's going to be making a whole lot more cash. Than he already was uh, if they get what they want. So, I mean, he's got some skin in this game, too.
0: We're joined by Sam Amick of SI.com and NBA Confidential.com. Look, I think the owners got themselves into this mess. They overpaid for some players. Um, I think they maxed out too many guys. And now, you know, they want a dummy proof system that makes it very easy for them to either get out of these contracts or at least makes the contract shorter. So, if they sign a bad deal, they don't have to sit with it for very long. So, I I don't have very much sympathy for the owners, and you know the other thing I remind our audience all the time about Sam is this is a lockout, this isn't a strike. The players would have signed the same CBA if it was put in front of them, but the owners decided to lock them out. So I think that's an important point for people to remember.
3: No, absolutely, and I agree that the fans a lot of times they they put them in the same bag: lockout, strike, whatever. They're not playing, but it is a key point. You know, the players definitely would have signed the same version of the deal and and in fact they had an option for another year that that the owners wouldn't pick up so you're right on that um you know to me though one of the the major advantages the owners have going for them um from the fan side of things is just the economy we're in right now I, i think that you know i hear what you're saying about you know the owners sign these deals and and way too many of them exorbitant deals that they shouldn't have been signing but my feeling is the system is what it is, it was what it was, and and if I'm an owner, you're always going to try to be competitive and if you if you just try to be i mean look at Sacramento because it is in my backyard you know they because of the the ownership's uh, personal situation for, for you know financially and their other ventures, they tried to go for cost certainty and, and basically started looking at the bottom line. Well, next thing you know you've got league loan and payroll and a horrible team they're the exception you know most of these owners are going to spend within the system that's in front of them, and, and that's why, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm always torn on the concept of, well, if you don't want to pay it, you know, then don't sign the deal. I mean, you know, it's you've got to operate with the system you have, and I do think the system they have does need a lot of fixing.
0: Here's why I think the players have no chance. I've talked to people in NBA circles who have told me that David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, has promised new owners, so you've got new owners of the Golden State Warriors, the Pistons, now the Hawks, that he will put together a financial model for the league that will allow them to be profitable. Right now, that model doesn't exist. So David Stern has staked his reputation, made a promise to his new owners that he's going to get this figured out. So you know he holds the key to a lot of this, Sam, and if he's made that promise, I think he's not going to give in until he's able to deliver on that promise.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard rumblings of that. I can't say that I'd heard that specifically. That obviously would explain a a lot of their approach. I think you definitely could be right, and I think that that would explain why, for example, on my end, when you talk to an owner, who, you know, one particular owner, I I brought up the uh, the 62 million dollar flex cap, which the players say is just a hard cap, and and the fact that that is a long ways away from you know uh, last summer what I was hearing, which you're talking 45 million dollar hard cap, which is incredibly extreme, but. My point was, you know, hey, listen, you you guys have already moved from 45 to 62. That's not insignificant, at least if you look at it in terms of what the original intent was. And it was fascinating because the the answer I got was was almost this kind of like, well, it was almost like, listen, this proposal on the table right now, everybody knows. There's no way the players would take it. Like it, it wasn't real. You know what I mean? Like right. this is the the plan. From here is the players don't accept it. Then we go into lockout, and then you know, and that's a big part of why I wrote what I wrote, which is because six, eight, ten months down the road, that's when uh, they start getting closer to that 45 number that they want because uh, the leverage is even more in their corner.
0: Well, again, it's billionaires versus millionaires. Some owners claim that they will lose less money by not having a season than they will by having a season under this current economic model. David Stern has made these promises to new owners. For all those reasons, you know, I think your story makes more and more sense that it's time for NBA players to wave the white flag. I guess we'll see. I don't get a sense that that would happen anytime soon, though, unfortunately.
3: No, I don't either. I mean, one thing you know that I didn't get into in the piece was, you know, they are waiting for the decision on this uh, National Labor Relations Board um, claim that they've they've had out there for quite a while. They want to find out what the ruling is there before moving forward. Uh, I agree. I don't see it happening. I think you know we're still dealing with human beings and the emotions are still high. And I think the players look at this and and for lack of a better way of putting it, they're pissed. You know, and they they're upset that you know their lives are going to be so much different on the back end of a deal like this. And, and that's why I really don't see them swallowing their pride and, and getting this done. And uh, you know, But again, my prediction would be that, that down the road they, they might end up regretting it.
0: Last question for you. I've heard this from a few people, and I want to see if you can confirm it. So a lot of people are under the impression that players don't start missing paychecks until we get into training camp. But I've been told by a few people that some players, about half of the players in the league, so about 200 of the 400 and some odd players in the NBA, Get paid year round. So there are some players that are already missing paychecks since the lockout began. Do you know if that's true?
3: I know that, um, that the, the breakdown, you're probably close on the breakdown because uh, I actually had been meaning to, to get a more accurate read on that. I mean, I, at one time I was told that it was you know two thirds um, you know, was not on year round. Um, so maybe it's somewhere between two thirds and a half, but I think it's you know, a fairly split camp.
0: So the point is, some of the players are already feeling the pinch and are losing paychecks, and uh, you know they probably have a sense of urgency to try and figure this out sooner than later.
3: Absolutely, and I think you're right on that. And on top of that, I, you know, to me, it's not a small point when you step back and think about, you know, forget about the Kobe Bryant and the, uh, you know, guys like that. You know, those guys are going to play for 15, 16 years and, and just pile up money, uh, you know, mountains of money. But the average NBA player you're talking four to five years for his entire career. You know, that's the, what the numbers tell us. And so, um, guys that are feeling lucky to be in this league and, you know, knowing full well that losing an entire season's worth of pay is huge those guys have a voice just like the superstars do. And I think as time goes on, you know, that's when you start hearing from guys like that a whole lot more.
0: Well, and if you've got a guy like Delonte West tweeting out this week that he's going to apply for a job at Home Depot, <laughs> I guess that shows you in some <laughs> of the, the lesser players the position they're in right now.
3: Yeah, and I mean, not only that, another, you know, to me that was kind of insightful, you know, Ron Artest was looking at the all these uh, opportunities in England, and it was... From basketball to movies to, you know, soap operas, stuff like that. And the English team comes out and says, we would love to have you, Ron. You know, we don't have any money, uh, really to help you with, but, but we would be honored. And to me, you know, Ron obviously is not a superstar. He's a high level player. Um, and that's where the, the pinch continues as well as that, you know, I just, I'm not convinced at all that the international landscape, whether it's hoops or, or some of these other interests that guys want to pursue, um, are going to be all that lucrative.
0: Sam Amick from SI.com, Confidential.com. How can people follow you on Twitter?
3: Just add Sam underscore Amick,
1: A-M-I-C-K.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, always appreciate our conversations.
1: No problem, Ray. Thanks for having me. Take care, Sam. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this.
2: you where it's supposed to go with it.
0: Don't you blink, you might miss it. See, we got a right to just love it or leave it, you
2: find it and keep it. Because ain't every day you get the chance to say.
0: or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.
1: This is Sports Business Radio.
0: We're back, and Brian Griggs and myself, before the summer is over, we're going to be taking some vacation. So for the next two weeks, you'll hear the best of Sports Business Radio.
2: Griggs, you're heading to Disneyland with the family. Uh, That's going to be exciting. You got a little one. Oh, yeah. He's uh, almost five, and he is stoked. We've been watching all the Disney movies, getting them all set, and he's pretty excited.
0: I'm going to be heading to Disneyland for adults, in my opinion. I'm going to be taking my daughter to Maui. So we're going to be in Maui for a week, and uh, I'm very, very excited about that. We love the weather there. and just... Lay at the beach, make some sandcastles, and uh, it'll be good times.
2: Yeah, that's great. And some great golf. Hopefully you can uh, hit the
0: links. We'll see. Uh, I've reached out to a course or two in the greater Maui area, and we (laughs) will see uh, if they can uh, get me on a course to play. I'd love to play. My favorite course that I've ever played is Kapalua in Maui, uh, and they play the first tournament of the year there, so uh, it's fantastic. They have great golf over in Maui. I'm a big golfer, so uh, I try and get out whenever I can, but if it doesn't happen, you know what, I'm happy to lay on the beach, do some swimming, and uh, just hang with my
2: daughter. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be nice having some time off, and we're both going to some warmer places, so hopefully we can catch some rays. That's right, and then
0: when we come back, I mean, football, college football, NFL football in full swing. Still no word on when the NBA may get their problems solved, but uh, I'm excited about football season, and I, I think like many fans, I'm craving NFL this year more than ever, because we had the lockout, there was not much talk other than what was going on off the field, so I can't wait for the NFL season to start.
2: Yeah, I agree, I think that drama of that lockout kind of built up as a fan, you get built up and just hoping it was going to happen, hoping it was going to happen, and then it did, and now you're like, alright, let's get it going.
0: So our next two shows will be Best of Sports Business Radio. We'll be back with you live on September 17th. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes Every week, we'd appreciate it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter, at Radio. I'll probably be sending out a few tweets uh, from the, the road from vacation. Uh, Brian Griggs is at bgrizzle22. Follow him on Twitter. Let's get him some more Twitter followers. He's got interesting things going on. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you in a few weeks on Sports Business Radio. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything Is On The Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com.